1: Anybody ever felt foolish? You can make the decision if I feel foolish today or not. If you sit there like this, I'm going to feel real foolish. If you do this, come on. Say amen. Amen. Some of you are still doing this. Give me a smile. Give me an amen. Come on. If you'll give me an amen, some of you are not going to say anything no matter what I ask. Come on now. If you give me an amen, uh, it's going to help me know that you're getting this today. And I want to bring you this message called Blood on My Door. And we're going to talk about uh, this series on Foolish. Now, we're going to go ahead and open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse number 18. As we were talking about uh, Easter this year, we know that next Sunday is April 1st, better known as? Yeah, you don't want to be an April fool. Come on now. Amen. And we were talking about the fact of that, and we came up with this series, this passage came to to mind, and it just really has stuck in my heart, and it really came to the top. And so we're going to be talking about this for these next three weeks, and it's the the message of the cross is foolish, okay? The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Let's just stop right there for just a moment. We're going to keep that up there, but stop there for just a moment and listen to me. This talk about the blood of Jesus. This talk about a man who came and he he was put on a cross and killed and they they shoved a spear up into his side. I mean, it doesn't make sense to the world how we can believe this reality, how we can believe this truth. The world doesn't get why we're so infatuated with the crown of thorns and the stripes upon his back. Well, if you knew the truth and you know the truth, that it's by his stripes we are healed, then you understand the, the, the fascination we have with the power of the cross, okay? And the world doesn't get it because the Bible says, but we who are being saved know it is the power of God, that this truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross that he bore is the message that gives us hope for all eternity. It's the message in which we rejoice. It's the, Man, I feel God already. It's the message in which we celebrate. But the word says that it's foolish to some. Why would a God come and die for us? Well, the word foolish, and what I want you to understand about foolish, by definition of Webster means absurd or ridiculous. Absurd or ridiculous. That sometimes when you're serving God, it's going to seem like you have to do things that just don't make sense. For example, go stand in a darkened room with people you don't know and lift your hands and sing together. It's just not going to make sense. It's just not going to make sense to then have a guy come up and yell at you for 30 minutes and you be happy about it. Come on now. It just doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense some of what we're doing, but sometimes you're going to have to realize that the reason we do what we do is because of what he's done inside of us. You see, sometimes God asks you to do things that seem foolish. Has God ever ask you to do something foolish? I'll never forget one time I was seeking God. We had, we'd worked hard. I see some friends who helped me with it back there, but we'd worked hard and opened up a, another campus right over here on Warhill Road. And we'd had so many Hispanic uh, uh, members of our church coming and so many of them didn't have uh, transportation. So uh, there was a, just a huge population that lived right there on, on the road. And we worked hard over there. We, we, we cleaned out a building and we, 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 we put carpet in it and we, 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 put sheetrock up, and we we got it to looking like a church. And, and we had about 120 different uh, nationalities of, of people from all over, not 120 nationalities, 120 people from all different nationalities of Spanish-speaking people coming there. And they were just gathering in, and they would worship, and, and God is good. And then all of a sudden, some things shifted, and, and there were some things that shifted with immigration. And all of a sudden, uh, just boom, in one night, boom, 100 of those people all moved to Colorado in one night. And then... That little core of about 20 left came to me and said, Pastor, we, we're we good worshiping just right over there at the the main building. And so I had this building that we'd remodeled, and it was empty. And I mean, it makes sense. If you no longer need it, you just need to get rid of it. You need to back out of the lease or do whatever you can to not renew the lease. Do whatever. I mean, that's what makes sense. But I just had this this aching in my heart. And I said, God, what are we supposed to do with that? And, and I don't know what to do. And I said, God... I turned it back over to the owner, God, and I was praying. What I really was praying was, God, we're going to turn it back over to the owner. But I was saying it like this, God, what do you want? One day I just felt overwhelmed to the Lord to, to drive over to that building we weren't even using. I drove over that building, and as I got there, all of a sudden I, I just started praying, and I felt Nothing. I mean, I felt like 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 I was I didn't God wasn't speaking to me and I was like, God, why did I drive over here? And I start driving back. It's only about a mile and I drove back toward this campus. And as I drove past another building on the corner up here, as I drove past that building, the Lord spoke to me and He said, Rent that one also. I said, Lord, you don't understand the prayer. I was saying, shall we get rid of this? Lord, we're going to get rid of this. I just need to feel your blessing. And he said, rent that one also. I said, Lord, why do I need two buildings that I don't know what to do with? But he said it again in my heart. And so I called up the owner and I rented the building. Now, that may not seem that foolish to you. It did to me. And it really seemed foolish when I had to go look at our CFO and explain to them, I've rented another building. And our board of directors wanted to know why we rented another building. And I said, honestly, I don't know. But then I threw the card of all cards on it and said, but God told me to. (laughs) Do you know, it wasn't just a few days a man came to me with an idea. And he said to me, he said, Pastor... God has given me an idea that will help make groceries affordable for people during the middle of the economic crisis we were in at that time in America. And so the Grocery Garage was born. And in that store for now seven or eight years, there have been lives, been blessed. I go in there all the time and single moms sit there and cry and say, we couldn't make it without this store. My favorite story from there is a a, a 90-something-year-old World War One vet who looked at me and said, we live on $340 a month from the government. He said, we could not eat if your church wasn't doing this. And I stood in that store that made no sense and made me feel foolish to go rent something I didn't even know what it was for and have thought about how many lives have been changed. Sometimes it's going to seem foolish to obey God, but you need to do what God told you to do. You need to obey God. You know, there's a lot of things, and that's what we're studying in this Easter series on obeying God even when it seems foolish there's a lot of things that seem foolish sometimes when God speaks to us to do them. I thought about Gideon when I was in Israel last December. I enjoyed so much going to Gideon Spring there. I had never been to Gideon Spring. And, and as we come, this is the very place where the scripture says that he's about to face tens and tens of thousands of warriors. And he's got 30,000 men and it's an un, it's, it's horribly outnumbered. And, and God takes him down to that spring that we were at. And, and God says, okay, those who drink this way, put them on this side. And, and those who drink this way, put them on that side. And those who are afraid, tell them to go home. And, and, and that thirty thousand person army he had dwindled down to 300 and God said, now you're ready to go. Does that not sound a little foolish? If God said, all right, now you're ready to go. I didn't say this in the other services, but I'm going to tell you, I'll never forget. I just jumped in my heart. I'll never forget the Lord speaking to me and saying, trust me. And I, I didn't know what God was meaning by that. And, and, and as he said, trust me, I said, Lord, I don't understand, but I just felt it in my heart. And, and then there was this guy who came to me and he, he or called me and said, Pastor, I need to see you really, really bad. And, 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 I, and I said, okay. And, and so he, I said, you'll have to see me after third service on Sunday. And so he came in after the third service and, and I saw him walk in. And afterwards I told everybody bye and we went to my office. And he looked at me and he said, "Pastor, he said uh, we're going to be uh, asking you to really step up and do some things." And I said, "Well, what do you want me to do?" And he said, "Well, uh, he said uh, there's a radio station that's been affecting the world, and he said this radio station's about about to be gone." And I said, "Well, that's sad to hear." And he said, "No, no, no. I want you to hear if God said that this church and you're going to rescue that." And I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah, you're going to have to buy that station." And I said, "Well, how's that supposed to happen?" come on now. And he said, he said, pastor, God has said, you're going to do it. And all of a sudden I heard that voice that had spoken to me a week before and said, trust me. I heard it inside of my heart and said, trust me. And I said, okay, I I think God might be in this. I feel bearing witness, but I don't know how to buy it. He said, don't worry about the money. If God's in it, it'll work out. He said, but there's one more thing I've got to tell you. And I said, what? (laughs) More than this. He said, "Uh, you've got to buy it tomorrow. (laughs) I said, tomorrow? He said, yes, tomorrow's the deadline. I said, well, if God's in it, we'll buy it tomorrow. And bless God, we bought it on the next day, and now it's reaching 214 countries, territories, and islands of the world for the cause of Christ (laughs) 24-7. Listen, sometimes some things sound foolish, but you have to obey God. Now listen, what I'm about to tell you may even sound... Stranger, but it's something you need to do. Listen to me carefully. I want to set the the setting for you. The children of Israel have been in slavery for four hundred years. God has sent a deliverer to them. Moses has come, and instead of things getting easier, Pharaoh and his anger has uh, turned up the heat on them. There's a struggle going on. There's a problem going on, and everyone everyone is is dealing with high tensions. Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, has done everything he can to make it hard, but the plagues keep coming and it becomes even harder on the Egyptians. It is totally foolish for Pharaoh not to submit to God, but I can't judge him too harshly because there's been too many times I haven't submitted to God. Pharaoh's fighting back. He looks at Moses and he tells him, if I see you again, I will kill you. And God's response is found in Exodus chapter number 12 and verse number 3. It seems foolish, but this is God's response. He says, "Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb." Verse 5, "...the animal that you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects." Verse 6, "...then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight." They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. And I think the best verse that shows what you do there is in verse 22. Let's have verse 22. It says this, "...then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it in the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and the sides of the door frames of your houses." And on that night, verse 12, on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male in the land of Egypt. Now I just want to put this in perspective for you. Not if you're the firstborn, but if you are the first son born in your family, would you please stand? Wow. Without the blood, there's no hope for any of you. Of course, we all know without the blood, there's no hope for any of us. Come on. Give these guys a hand. Come on. I just want you to realize how much of a percentage, get this, how much of a percentage it was. All right, this wasn't small. The firstborn sons, firstborn animals, and I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. Now notice verse 13, but the blood on your doorpost will serve as a... Sign. Say that when the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign. Making the houses where you are staying, or marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, when I see what? The blood. See, it's foolish to talk about blood in our society, but it's part of our faith. It is the message of the cross. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now let's get this in our minds. God begins to speak to them about something very radical. I want you to imagine this moment. I mean, God has been doing amazing things among the children of Israel. Everywhere around them, uh, God has been putting the Egyptians through the ringer. The Egyptians have been swarmed by frogs, swarmed by locusts, swarmed by flies. I'm laughing because this next one, when I said it in the first service, the reaction was funny. They were swarmed by lice first service i said the word lice and about five hands went up like this can you imagine this they were covered in boils They were being literally tormented to death all around and thirsty. Their their cattle are, are dying. Their crops are dying. But the children of Israel are standing right next to them. On this side, the frogs. On this side, they're happy. On this side, they're being eat up with lice. And on this side, they're rejoicing. And don't you understand that that side was mad at this side? They were not happy about the moment. And then God speaks to them and he tells them to do something that is utterly foolish. I mean, they're mad because, I mean, that'd be like all of a sudden you, you, you beat somebody really, really bad in a game and you walk up to them and say, hey man, how's it going? And they don't even want to talk to you. It's worse. And then God says to them, you know what God tells them to do? Are you ready for this? God says, go to all of those people who are mad at you and ask them for their jewelry. Ask them for every piece of precious metal they have in their house. Can you imagine that? You're going up to somebody and said, Hey, uh, give me your wedding ring. How many of you know 911 would probably call? Come on. I mean, think about it for a moment. These people are furious at them, and God says, Hey, I want you to go and ask them for everything they have. Go ask them for their valuables. Now, look, do not go home and do this. I do not want your HOA calling me. But it's like you walking up to your neighbor's house and saying, Give me all your jewelry. Come on now. And while you're at it, throw the silverware in too. It makes no sense. But imagine how those kids felt when their daddies looked at them and said, God says you're supposed to go ask that person for their jewelry. How awkward is that? I started to try it, but I'm afraid of some of you. Come on. It's awkward. But imagine how they felt the first time they walked up and someone said, Excuse me, can, can I have your, your wedding ring? Oh, sure. The lady walks into the house that she's been cleaning as a slave and she says, Can I have all the gold? And the woman says, No problem. All of a sudden, they're doing what seems utterly foolish to do, but it's working out for their good. And, and what we know that God was doing was he was preparing them to go on the journey they were going to have to go on by providing for them and supplying their needs. And God was getting them ready to, to thrive and to literally spoil Egypt, Scripture says. And, and we know what God was doing, but here's what God spoke to me this morning. Are you ready for this? It may have seemed foolish, but it's foolish obedience that you have to engage in if you want a break through or break out. You see, some of us, we're just wanting to know when we can get free. We'll never be free until we get radically obedient to God. Now imagine, they have gathered up, the kids have... Some of you are not going to understand what I'm talking about, but can you imagine this scene? Can you, I'm just picturing this little Israelite boy come walking down. He looks like Mr. T. Come on now. Yeah. See, y'all don't even know who that is. Come on now. <laughs> He's got all his jewelry on all over him. He comes down through there. And all of a sudden, they're sitting around the house, and he's just looking at this, and mom's polishing all the new stuff, and then dad walks through the door. And listen to what dad has to say. If it wasn't crazy enough to ask people for their jewelry, now dad says, you know what, we got to do something else. we got to go kill a lamb on the door. Excuse me? You see, it seemed really strange because it was illegal to kill a lamb in Egypt because the lamb was considered sacred. He said, we've got to put something legal on the menu tonight, and and then we've got to eat it all in one night. And his wife's like, you just want a big meal. He's like, no, 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 you're not going to have time to get the bread right. He said, we're going to put it on the door. He said, but it's a little more complicated than that. She said, it is. And he says, yes. He says, "Um, that's how foolish this sounded." He said, "Um, then after we kill it, we have to paint the door with its blood. Weird, right? Y'all are looking at me like you're super spiritual. I don't know what that woman would... I do know what she would say to me if I said I'm going to paint the door with blood. I can hear her now. Excuse me? You're going to put what on my door? I imagine those men felt very awkward when they said we're going to do something because see, we see the other side of it. They didn't know what it was and they had to feel foolish. But as they felt foolish, the Bible says they had to go out and they had to get this big thing... Of hyssop, and when they got this big bunch of hyssop, they made they made like a I don't know just a, a bunch of it together. And as they got it together, they had to take the lamb and they had to kill the lamb at the doorpost or the door, threshold of the door. And so when they kill the lamb at the threshold of the door, now look, I just stepped all in it, but but there is there's blood everywhere. Third service, there's blood everywhere up here. And they said, here's what you're going to do. Now how foolish does this seem? You're going to take this blood and you're going to dip that hyssop down in the blood. And when you get the hyssop down in the blood, you're going to mark. It doesn't even paint good. You're going to mark the top of the door with it. Lord, I could have used a purdy brush and it'd been better than that. Come on now. You're going to mark the top of the door with it. And over time that night, it's going to run down the door. And he said, not only are you going to mark the top of the door, because there's blood at the bottom of the door where you, where you uh, kill the lamb, but then you're going to mark the sides of the door frame. And when you get through marking the sides of the door frame, you need to go inside. It's going everywhere up here. You need to go inside the door. Why is this important? Why is this so important? Here's what we're finding out. He says, you've got to get behind the sign of the blood. Because if you don't get behind the sign of the blood, I'm going to pass over. And when I pass over, there's going to be a problem. Because the blood is going to be a sign that you have placed your trust in God. Now, I want you to remember, God said, when I see the sign, not when the Egyptians see the sign, most of us are living our lives in hope that people around us can see Jesus in us, and we need to do that. But God said, it's not about others seeing it, it's about me seeing it. Because God said, when I pass over in judgment, I will see the sign, and when I see the sign of the blood on your doorway, it will cause me to give you grace, because the blood will be a reminder of grace. Here's the result. He said, I will pass over. I cannot ignore sin, but the blood is required so that I can move past your sins. The children of Israel were behind these doors covered in blood and they were not perfect. As a matter of fact, after this night, they would fail him time and time again. They would build a golden calf in the wilderness. They would grumble. They would complain. They would fall into sexual sin. They would fall into all kinds of struggles, but God would never leave them. Why? Because they had been covered in the blood and because they were covered in the blood. When God saw their families and saw their lives, he didn't remember their failures. He remembered the blood. He remembered the significance of the blood. You see, sin has a cost, and you have to understand that. And you're going to always reap that cost of that sin. You're always going to reap that that struggle and that problem. But because of the blood. Now, here's what happened in Egypt. When they came to kill the firstborn, what had the Egyptians done? They had killed the firstborn of the Israelites for generations, and now God's bringing judgment on them. Every sin you will reap, every struggle you will reap, unless there's something, and this is not popular preaching, and this is not modern, and it doesn't make sense to a modern world, but without the blood, our gospel is of no effect. I don't care how many times I tell you how to fix your family. I don't care how many times I tell you what you need to do about getting better and getting getting better finances, and getting free from your kryptonite, unless you really realize this message of the blood is foolish enough that it's what changes our lives, there is no hope without the blood of Jesus Christ. There is none. The church without the blood is Foolish. Because all we're doing is gathering and lifting our hands in the dark. But because of the blood, his grace passes over. And when his grace passes over, he looks at some people that should be stained with sin. But instead, he sees the grace of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on now. Amen. Amen. First 1 Peter chapter number 1. Verse number 18 says, for you know that it is, was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Notice this, handed down to you from your ancestors. I love that. I love that. What it's saying is this, that you are not redeemed from the way that your family's always been just because of something you learned. For you know that it was not with those perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish, a lamb without defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sakes." Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. I'm running out of time but I'm not running out of sermon and I feel like preaching for just a moment. I want you to understand something today. It's the blood of Jesus that marks our lives that gives us hope. Some of you have walked in here today. Some are listening and some are watching and I want you all to get this. I want you to understand today that it is not your failures that I came to point out to you. It is his lack of failure. It is not your weaknesses that I came to condemn you for, but to remind you that it is the grace of God who reaches down into every weakness and every struggle and causes us to arise. I have messed up. I'm already shouting, but I'm not done yet. I'm going to shout just a moment more because I'm talking to you about the grace of the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us clean. And I don't know where your failures have been, but this is what you need to understand. When Jesus has marked your door and marked your life, there's hope behind the blood for you. You can find freedom. And when God passes over, you'll still be standing by his grace. Amen. Here's what I had never seen until we put this illustration together. I had never seen this before. I started to get that up and point with it, but I'm afraid blood will go. See, that's the thing. When the blood gets in your life, it gets everywhere. You can't keep part of it back. Watch this. I had never seen this before. I'll pick it up anyways. Here we go. Get get it messy. Watch this. See this right here? It drains down. And when they marked one side and went across, that was the order in which they were supposed to do it. They marked one side and came across to this side. What it did was literally form the cross the crown of thorns where his head was pierced for us, his hands that were nailed and his feet would have been at the threshold where the blood would have been spattered all over the threshold. That the cross, that literally all the way back in Egypt, what was seen on the doors was the cross. It was the cross, this message that people don't understand. It was the cross that gives us hope. Pastor Don, how does this apply to my life? Revelation chapter three, verse number 20. You see, most of us have doors of our lives, really all of us have doors of our lives, and some of them are wide open, some are open books, and some are closed, closed down tight. Listen to me careful. We all make decisions of who we'll open our doors to and who we'll close them from. We all make decisions of what we'll let in and what we're going to keep in because our lives are really doors. And here's what Jesus said about that door of your life. He said, look, or behold, the King James, he said, I stand at the door and knock. He said, I'm knocking at the door of your life. I want to come in. He said, if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and will share a meal together as friends. Here's what he's saying. No different than the original Passover. They bloodied their door, they ate a meal behind the door And Jesus said this, he said, if you'll open the door of your life, I'll come through it. But I got to tell you something, when Jesus goes through the door, he marks it every time. When he comes to the door, there's a mark of his grace, a mark of his blood, a mark of the cross that forms on your life. And when he comes in, it's not a fearful night, but a new joy as life begins in who you are. This is what God's been dealing with my heart about. Don't put your faith in works. Put your faith in the work that Jesus has already done. Put your hope in the work that's already been accomplished. I want you to bow your heads with me in this place. Nobody looking around. Everybody listening to my voice for a moment. I'm going to pray for us all. Father, you see our heart. You see the blood. Or not. You see it there. You see it that it's never been given a place. You see who we are. You see right where we are. And you're knocking at the door of our lives. I want to talk to everybody with your heads bowed for just a moment because there are people here who you love Jesus and you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, but there's a whole lot of your life that's not under the blood. There's a whole lot of your life that, that, and it seems foolish to talk about the blood, but the blood is the only hope we have. That means that you haven't surrendered that area, but the blood gets everywhere. It gets everywhere. And you need to surrender that area of your life. But that's you wanna see your hands in this place. Get them up, hold them up high. Hands going up all across this place. Literally all over this place. Thank you. I'm gonna pray for you in just a moment. Put those down. Do you see, that's not the only ones that need to raise their hands today. There's already been several in our earlier services, but there are people here today that would say with me, Pastor. I have never really invited Jesus in. I've never allowed him to really mark my life with his blood. I've wanted to escape hell, but I've never made him my Lord and invited him in to mark me as he is. And the door of your heart stands uncovered, stands in judgment. And today you want Jesus to cover your life with his grace. If that's you, whether you're here, whether you're listening, whether you're watching, I'm speaking to you right now because the Holy Spirit's really the one speaking. This is your moment, this is your time. If you're here with nobody looking around, everybody praying, I didn't embarrass anybody else to so raise their hand, I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you're here today, and you say, Pastor, today's the day I want to invite Jesus to mark my life with his grace, and I want to make him my savior. Can I see your hand right where you are? Would you just hold it up? I thank you, thank you, thank you. Who will join with these? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Who will join with these six? Thank you, who will join with these seven? Who else will join with these today? Thank you, thank you. Yes, I see these hands. Hallelujah. All right. I want you to join hands with someone near you. You don't have to cross the aisles, but let's pray a prayer of faith. The Bible says that if we will confess Jesus Christ as Lord with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we would be born again. So today, we take this moment to celebrate. The gift of Jesus with these who are finding him today come on let's pray together Jesus by faith I believe your promises Heavenly Father I am a sinner in need of a Savior in Jesus name I repent of my sins from this moment on I give you my past my present and my future In Jesus' name, I believe that God is my Father, heaven is my home, and Jesus is my Savior. Amen and amen. Father, I pray for all of those who prayed that prayer right now. Come on, celebrate. Amen. Some for the very first time, and some as points of rededication. But I pray for all who said they have areas of their life that need to be under the blood. Lord, as these are experiencing now, as you're literally going to be moving into their lives, changing who they are in this new life. Father, I thank you that as we, as others, begin to live in such a way of not uh, fear about what lies behind the door of our life, but faith in who has marked the doors of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.